File 46 of A Treatise of Human Nature by David Hume, Volume 2. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by George Yeager. Book 3 of Morals. Part 2 of Justice and Injustice. Section 10 of the Objects of Allegiance but though on some occasions it may be justifiable both in sound politics and morality to resist supreme power it is certain that in the ordinary course of human affairs nothing can be more pernicious and criminal and that besides the convulsions which always attend revolutions such a practice tends directly to the subversion of all government and the causing an universal anarchy and confusion among mankind as numerous and civilized societies cannot subsist without government so government is entirely useless without an exact obedience we ought always to weigh the advantages which we reap from authority against the disadvantages and by this means we shall become more scrupulous of putting in practice the doctrine of resistance the common rule requires submission and it is only in cases of grievous tyranny and oppression that the exception can take place since then such a blind submission is commonly due to magistracy the next question is to whom it is due and whom we are to regard as our lawful magistrates in order to answer this question let us recollect what we have already established concerning the origin of government and political society when men have once experienced the impossibility of preserving any steady order in society while every one is his own master and violates or observes the laws of society according to his present interest or pleasure they naturally run into the invention of government and put it out of their own power as far as possible to transgress the laws of society government therefore arises from the voluntary convention of men and it is evident that the same convention which establishes government will also determine the persons who are to govern and will remove all doubt and ambiguity in this particular and the voluntary consent of men must here have the greater efficacy that the authority of the magistrate does at first stand upon the foundation of a promise of the subjects by which they bind themselves to obedience as in every other contract or engagement the same promise then which binds them to obedience ties them down to a particular person and makes him the object of their allegiance but when government has been established on this footing for some considerable time and the separate interest which we have in submission has produced a separate sentiment of morality the case is entirely altered and a promise is no longer able to determine the particular magistrate since it is no longer considered as the foundation of government we naturally suppose ourselves born to submission 
and imagine that such particular persons have a right to command as we on our part are bound to obey these notions of right and obligation are derived from nothing but the advantage we reap from government which gives us a repugnance to practice resistance ourselves and makes us displeased with any instance of it in others but here it is remarkable that in this new state of affairs the original sanction of government which is interest is not admitted to determine the persons whom we are to obey as the original sanction did at first when affairs were on the footing of a promise a promise fixes and determines the persons without any uncertainty but it is evident that if men were to regulate their conduct in this particular by the view of a peculiar interest either public or private they would involve themselves in endless confusion and would render all government in a great measure ineffectual the private interest of every one is different and though the public interest in itself be always one and the same yet it becomes the source of as great dissensions by reason of the different opinions of particular persons concerning it the same interest therefore which causes us to submit to magistracy makes us renounce itself in the choice of our magistrates and binds us down to a certain form of government and to particular persons without allowing us to aspire to the utmost perfection in either the case is here the same as in that law of nature concerning the stability of possession it is highly advantageous and even absolutely necessary to society that possession should be stable and this leads us to the establishment of such a rule but we find that were we to follow the same advantage in assigning particular possessions to particular persons we should disappoint our end and perpetuate the confusion which that rule is intended to prevent we must therefore proceed by general rules and regulate ourselves by general interests in modifying the law of nature concerning the stability of possession nor need we fear that our attachment to this law will diminish upon account of the seeming frivolousness of those interests by which it is determined the impulse of the mind is derived from a very strong interest and those other more minute interests serve only to direct the motion without adding anything to it or diminishing from it it is the same case with government nothing is more advantageous to society than such an invention and this interest is sufficient to make us embrace it with ardour and alacrity though we are obliged afterwards to regulate and direct our devotion to government by several considerations which are not of the same importance and to choose our magistrates without having in view any particular advantage from the choice the first of those principles i shall take notice of as a foundation of the right of magistracy is that which gives authority to all the most established governments of the world without exception i mean 
long possession in any one form of government or succession of princes it is certain that if we remount to the first origin of every nation we shall find that there scarce is any race of kings or form of a commonwealth that is not primarily founded on usurpation and rebellion and whose title is not at first worse than doubtful and uncertain time alone gives solidity to their right and operating gradually on the minds of men reconciles them to any authority and makes it seem just and reasonable nothing causes any sentiment to have a greater influence upon us than custom or turns our imagination more strongly to any object when we have been long accustomed to obey any set of men that general instinct or tendency which we have to suppose a moral obligation attending loyalty takes easily this direction and chooses that set of men for its objects it is interest which gives the general instinct but it is custom which gives the particular direction and here it is observable that the same length of time has a different influence on our sentiments of morality according to its different influence on the mind we naturally judge of everything by comparison and since in considering the fate of kingdoms and republics we embrace a long extent of time a small duration has not in this case a like influence on our sentiments as when we consider any other object one thinks he acquires a right to a horse or a suit of clothes in a very short time but a century is scarce sufficient to establish any new government or remove all scruples in the minds of the subjects concerning it add to this that a shorter period of time will suffice to give a prince a title to any additional power he may usurp than will serve to fix his right where the whole is an usurpation the kings of france have not been possessed of absolute power for above two reigns and yet nothing will appear more extravagant to frenchmen than to talk of their liberties if we consider what has been said concerning accession we shall easily account for this phenomenon when there is no form of government established by long possession the present possession is sufficient to supply its place and may be regarded as the second source of all public authority right to authority is nothing but the constant possession of authority maintained by the laws of society and the interests of mankind and nothing can be more natural than to join this constant possession to the present one according to the principles above mentioned if the same principles did not take place with regard to the property of private persons it was because these principles were counterbalanced by very strong considerations of interest when we observed that all restitution would by that means be prevented and every violence be authorized and protected and though the same motives may seem to have force with regard to public authority 
yet they are opposed by a contrary interest which consists in the preservation of peace and the avoiding of all changes which however they may be easily produced in private affairs are unavoidably attended with bloodshed and confusion where the public is interested any one who finding the impossibility of accounting for the right of the present possessor by any received system of ethics should resolve to deny absolutely that right and assert that it is not authorized by morality would be justly thought to maintain a very extravagant paradox and to shock the common sense and judgment of mankind no maxim is more conformable both to prudence and morals than to submit quietly to the government which we find established in the country where we happen to live without inquiring too curiously into its origin and first establishment few governments will bear being examined so rigorously how many kingdoms are there at present in the world and how many more do we find in history whose governors have no better foundation for their authority than that of present possession to confine ourselves to the roman and grecian empire is it not evident that the long succession of emperors from the dissolution of the roman liberty to the final extinction of that empire by the turks could not so much as pretend to any other title to the empire the election of the senate was a mere form which always followed the choice of the legions and these were almost always divided in the different provinces and nothing but the sword was able to terminate the difference it was by the sword therefore that every emperor acquired as well as defended his right and we must either say that all the known world for so many ages had no government and owed no allegiance to any one or must allow that the right of the stronger in public affairs is to be received as legitimate and authorized by morality when not opposed by any other title the right of conquest may be considered as a third source of the title of sovereigns this right resembles very much that of present possession but has rather a superior force being seconded by the notions of glory and honour which we ascribe to conquerors instead of the sentiments of hatred and detestation which attend usurpers men naturally favour those they love and therefore are more apt to ascribe a right to successful violence betwixt one sovereign and another than to the successful rebellion of a subject against his sovereign footnote twenty three it is not here asserted that present possession or conquest are sufficient to give a title against long possession and positive laws but only that they have some force and will be able to cast the balance where the titles are otherwise equal and will even be sufficient sometimes to sanctify the weaker title what degree of force they have is difficult to determine i believe all moderate men will allow that they have great force in all disputes concerning the rights of princes End of footnote 23. 
when neither long possession nor present possession nor conquest take place as when the first sovereign who founded any monarchy dies in that case the right of succession naturally prevails in their stead and men are commonly induced to place the son of their late monarch on the throne and suppose him to inherit his father's authority the presumed consent of the father the imitation of the succession to private families the interest which the state has in choosing the person who is most powerful and has the most numerous followers all these reasons lead men to prefer the son of their late monarch to any other person footnote twenty four to prevent mistakes i must observe that this case of succession is not the same with that of hereditary monarchies where custom has fixed the right of succession these depend upon the principle of long possession above explained End of footnote twenty four these reasons have some weight but i am persuaded that to one who considers impartially of the matter it will appear that there concur some principles of the imagination along with those views of interest the royal authority seems to be connected with the young prince even in his father's lifetime by the natural transition of the thought and still more after his death so that nothing is more natural than to complete this union by a new relation and by putting him actually in possession of what seems so naturally to belong to him to confirm this we may weigh the following phenomena which are pretty curious in their kind in elective monarchies the right of succession has no place by the laws and settled custom and yet its influence is so natural that it is impossible entirely to exclude it from the imagination and render the subjects indifferent to the son of their deceased monarch hence in some governments of this kind the choice commonly falls on one or other of the royal family and in some governments they are all excluded those contrary phenomena proceed from the same principle where the royal family is excluded it is from a refinement in politics which makes people sensible of their propensity to choose a sovereign in that family and gives them a jealousy of their liberty lest their new monarch aided by this propensity should establish his family and destroy the freedom of elections for the future the history of artaxerxes and the younger cyrus may furnish us with some reflections to the same purpose cyrus pretended a right to the throne above his elder brother because he was born after his father's accession i do not pretend that this reason was valid i would only infer from it that he would never have made use of such a pretext were it not for the qualities of the imagination above mentioned by which we are naturally inclined to unite by a new relation whatever objects we find already united artaxerxes had an advantage above his brother as being the eldest son and the first in succession 
but cyrus was more closely related to the royal authority as being begot after his father was invested with it should it be here pretended that the view of convenience may be the source of all the right of succession and that men gladly take advantage of any rule by which they can fix the successor of their late sovereign and prevent that anarchy and confusion which attends all new elections to this i would answer that i readily allow that this motive may contribute something to the effect but at the same time i assert that without another principle it is impossible such a motive should take place the interest of a nation requires that the succession to the crown should be fixed one way or another but it is the same thing to its interest in what way it be fixed so that if the relation of blood had not an effect independent of public interest it would never have been regarded without a positive law and it would have been impossible that so many positive laws of different nations could ever have concurred precisely in the same views and intentions this leads us to consider the fifth source of authority that is positive laws when the legislature establishes a certain form of government and succession of princes at first sight it may be thought that this must resolve into some of the preceding titles of authority the legislative power whence the positive law is derived must either be established by original contract long possession present possession conquest or succession and consequently the positive law must derive its force from some of those principles but here it is remarkable that though a positive law can only derive its force from these principles yet it acquires not all the force of the principle from whence it is derived but loses considerably in the transition as it is natural to imagine for instance a government is established for many centuries on a certain system of laws forms and methods of succession the legislative power established by this long succession changes all on a sudden the whole system of government and introduces a new constitution in its stead i believe few of the subjects will think themselves bound to comply with this alteration unless it have an evident tendency to the public good but will think themselves still at liberty to return to the ancient government hence the notion of fundamental laws which are supposed to be inalterable by the will of the sovereign and of this nature the salic law is understood to be in france how far these fundamental laws extend is not determined in any government nor is it possible it ever should there is such an insensible gradation from the most material laws to the most trivial and from the most ancient laws to the most modern that it will be impossible to set bounds to the legislative power and determine how far it may innovate in the principles of government that is the work more of imagination and passion than of reason whoever considers the history of the several nations of the world their revolutions conquests 
increase and diminution the manner in which their particular governments are established and the successive right transmitted from one person to another will soon learn to treat very lightly all disputes concerning the rights of princes and will be convinced that a strict adherence to any general rules and the rigid loyalty to particular persons and families on which some people set so high a value are virtues that hold less of reason than of bigotry and superstition in this particular the study of history confirms the reasonings of true philosophy which shewing us the original qualities of human nature teaches us to regard the controversies in politics as incapable of any decision in most cases and as entirely subordinate to the interests of peace and liberty where the public good does not evidently demand a change it is certain that the concurrence of all those titles original contract long possession present possession succession and positive laws forms the strongest title to sovereignty and is justly regarded as sacred and inviolable but when these titles are mingled and opposed in different degrees they often occasion perplexity and are less capable of solution from the arguments of lawyers and philosophers than from the swords of the soldiery who shall tell me for instance whether germanicus or drusus ought to have succeeded tiberius had he died while they were both alive without naming any of them for his successor ought the right of adoption to be received as equivalent to that of blood in a nation where it had the same effect in private families and had already in two instances taken place in the public ought germanicus to be esteemed the eldest son because he was born before drusus or the younger because he was adopted after the birth of his brother ought the right of the elder to be regarded in a nation where the eldest brother had no advantage in the succession to private families ought the roman empire at that time to be esteemed hereditary because of two examples or ought it even so early to be regarded as belonging to the stronger or the present possessor as being founded on so recent an usurpation upon whatever principles we may pretend to answer these and such like questions i am afraid we shall never be able to satisfy an impartial inquirer who adopts no party in political controversies and will be satisfied with nothing but sound reason and philosophy but here an english reader will be apt to inquire concerning that famous revolution which has had such a happy influence on our constitution and has been attended with such mighty consequences we have already remarked that in the case of enormous tyranny and oppression it is lawful to take arms even against supreme power and that as government is a mere human invention for mutual advantage and security it no longer imposes any obligation either natural or moral when once it ceases to have that tendency but though this general principle be authorized by common sense and the practice of all ages 
it is certainly impossible for the laws or even for philosophy to establish any particular rules by which we may know when resistance is lawful and decide all controversies which may arise on that subject this may not only happen with regard to supreme power but it is possible even in some constitutions where the legislative authority is not lodged in one person that there may be a magistrate so eminent and powerful as to oblige the laws to keep silence in this particular nor would this silence be an effect only of their respect but also of their prudence since it is certain that in the vast variety of circumstances which occur in all governments an exercise of power in so great a magistrate may at one time be beneficial to the public which at another time would be pernicious and tyrannical but notwithstanding this silence of the laws in limited monarchies it is certain that the people still retain the right of resistance since it is impossible even in the most despotic governments to deprive them of it the same necessity of self-preservation and the same motive of public good give them the same liberty in the one case as in the other and we may farther observe that in such mixed governments the cases wherein resistance is lawful must occur much oftener and greater indulgence be given to the subjects to defend themselves by force of arms than in arbitrary governments not only where the chief magistrate enters into measures in themselves extremely pernicious to the public but even when he would encroach on the other parts of the constitution and extend his power beyond the legal bounds it is allowable to resist and dethrone him though such resistance and violence may in the general tenor of the laws be deemed unlawful and rebellious for besides that nothing is more essential to public interest than the preservation of public liberty it is evident that if such a mixed government be once supposed to be established every part or member of the constitution must have a right of self-defence and of maintaining its ancient bounds against the encroachment of every other authority as matter would have been created in vain were it deprived of a power of resistance without which no part of it could preserve a distinct existence and the whole might be crowded up into a single point so it is a gross absurdity to suppose in any government a right without a remedy or allow that the supreme power is shared with the people without allowing that it is lawful for them to defend their share against every invader those therefore who would seem to respect our free government and yet deny the right of resistance have renounced all pretensions to common sense and do not merit a serious answer it does not belong to my present purpose to shew that these general principles are applicable to the late revolution and that all the rights and privileges which ought to be sacred to a free nation were at that time threatened with the utmost danger i am better pleased to leave this controverted subject if it really admits of controversy and to indulge myself in some philosophical reflections which naturally arise from that important event first 
we may observe that should the lords and commons in our constitution without any reason from public interest either depose the king in being or after his death exclude the prince who by laws and settled custom ought to succeed no one would esteem their proceedings legal or think themselves bound to comply with them but should the king by his unjust practices or his attempts for a tyrannical and despotic power justly forfeit his legal it then not only becomes morally lawful and suitable to the nature of political society to dethrone him but what is more we are apt likewise to think that the remaining members of the constitution acquire a right of excluding his next heir and of choosing whom they please for his successor this is founded on a very singular quality of our thought and imagination when a king forfeits his authority his heir ought naturally to remain in the same situation as if the king were removed by death unless by mixing himself in the tyranny he forfeit it for himself but though this may seem reasonable we easily comply with the contrary opinion the deposition of a king in such a government as ours is certainly an act beyond all common authority and an illegal assuming a power for public good which in the ordinary course of government can belong to no member of the constitution when the public good is so great and so evident as to justify the action the commendable use of this license causes us naturally to attribute to the parliament a right of using farther licenses and the ancient bounds of the laws being once transgressed with approbation we are not apt to be so strict in confining ourselves precisely within their limits the mind naturally runs on with any train of action which it has begun nor do we commonly make any scruple concerning our duty after the first action of any kind which we perform thus at the revolution no one who thought the deposition of the father justifiable esteemed themselves to be confined to his infant son though had that unhappy monarch died innocent at that time and had his son by any accident been conveyed beyond seas there is no doubt but a regency would have been appointed till he should come to age and could be restored to his dominions as the slightest properties of the imagination have an effect on the judgments of the people it shews the wisdom of the laws and of the parliament to take advantage of such properties and to choose the magistrates either in or out of a line according as the vulgar will most naturally attribute authority and right to them secondly though the accession of the prince of orange to the throne might at first give occasion to many disputes and his title be contested it ought now not to appear doubtful but must have acquired a sufficient authority from those three princes who have succeeded him upon the same title nothing is more usual though nothing may at first sight appear more unreasonable than this way of thinking princes often seem to acquire a right from their successors as well as from their ancestors and a king who during his lifetime might justly be deemed an usurper 
will be regarded by posterity as a lawful prince because he has had the good fortune to settle his family on the throne and entirely change the ancient form of government julius caesar is regarded as the first roman emperor while Scylla and Marius, whose titles were really the same as his, are treated as tyrants and usurpers. Time and custom give authority to all forms of government, and all successions of princes, and that power, which at first was founded only on injustice and violence, becomes in time legal and obligatory. Nor does the mind rest there but returning back upon its footsteps transfers to their predecessors and ancestors that right which it naturally ascribes to the posterity as being related together and united in the imagination the present king of france makes hugh capet a more lawful prince than cromwell as the established liberty of the dutch is no inconsiderable apology for their obstinate resistance to philip the second End of file 46